Hello and welcome to The Ridiculous. This is Jen, recording by myself today, just a little intro. We're going to do something a little different today due to all of um, our wild success with the release of um, Seduced to Slay on Investigation Discovery, starring yours truly. Um, Things have been crazy. I can't leave the house. I have to bring seven pens wherever I go to sign autographs or I'll run out of ink. Um, We are so busy with meet and greets and events, award ceremonies. Um, It's been a whirlwind. Um, But we thought that we would um, bring you guys the episode that started it all. Um, episode five of Dumb Love, which was recorded four plus years ago. We were mere babes in the podcasting world, so please forgive the uh, quality of the show. Um, but this is the episode that, um, the, uh, where we talk about the Melissa Brado story. So we wanted to re-air it today as a treat, and we will be back next week with more Ridiculous list for you. Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that we do for love. Dumb, 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 dumb. Episode five. We're on five. I never thought we'd make it here. Me neither, but we did it. We did it. The whole thanks to you guys. Thank you for listening um, and for engaging, for writing in, for subscribing, for all of the things. It's uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's been great. We've gotten a lot of really great reviews, which we super appreciate. We appreciate all of um, your engagement on our social medias and yeah. such. <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure out social media. So if you have any tips, let us know because we are dumb. We are dumb. It. There's a reason that we're doing this podcast because <laughs> we're dumb. Um, but we're so excited about all of the stories that you guys are sending in. That's like what I'm most excited about because they are awesome. Um, thanks for a uh, shout out to um, people like Jess, Jessica Benoit from Detroit, Michigan. Um, it's Benoit, but I like to say Benoit. It sounds fancier. I know. Maybe she should change it. I've tried to get her to change it. <laughs> She's not listening to me. But uh, uh, sweet, sweet Jess Benoit, who said Benoit, who sent in her story um, that we put on our Instagram, and everybody else who's been sending stories. Which brings me to my first quickie today is um going to be a story that was sent in from uh shanda sung from bloomington indiana shanda shanda yes oh you know her i do know her she is um an amazing comedian oh hell yeah um and a cool mom which is like secondary but also you know i feel like it makes she has like we we recorded um we're gonna have an album out that we will both be on that should come out sometime soon. Oh, um, cool! That we recorded for Sirius XM um, a couple months ago, and her first line at the time we recorded, she had a, a six month old, and her her opening line got me every time. She'd be like, "Hey everybody, I had a baby six months ago, and I look 
fine. I look fine. I look okay. I'm doing all right. Let's all just agree. I look fine. And it just every time got me. So anyway, so I'm so excited to hear her story because I haven't read it. Oh, that's awesome. And also shout out to, this is like the second time we've mentioned Bloomington, Indiana. On yeah. our, the old, we've done, we're on our fifth podcast and we've mentioned Bloomington, which is like a cool ass city. It's a cool ass city with one of, um, if not the best comedy clubs in the country. It so. really is. Shout out to the comedy attic. When yeah. I had to go to Bloomington for comedy, every, um, like several people were like, oh, you're going to love it. And I was like, I will. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then when I got there, I was like, oh, I did. Like, I totally understand now yeah. why everyone loves Bloomington. Every and time I I'm really there, can't describe it. You just got to go. Yeah. Every time I'm there, I'm like, taking pictures of houses and sending them to my husband like, hey, maybe we could live here. Maybe you could get a job here. He's like, do you really want to live in the middle of Indiana again? I, I went to college in Indiana uh-huh. at Purdue, not at Bloomington, but I'm like, I, I could live here. I could do it. Oh, man. <laughs> I was fantasizing about all of the cute little apartments in the little um, walkable yeah. downtown area. And I was just like looking at all of the pricing and definitely envisioning myself running away from everyone <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> it's my favorite so shanda you're living our best life <laughs> yes thanks shanda all right i'm gonna go ahead and get into her story which is pretty amazing okay uh shanda says my grandpa was a long haul trucker when i was around four or five um he was married to my grandma and had been since they were teenagers and they had have question mark in parentheses five kids Um, He was off on a trip and he came back married to a woman that he had met on the road. He had to break. Wait, in addition to the grandma? Yes. Oh, (laughs) he like was married and then he went out and then got married once more (laughs) to a uh, woman that he met on the road. Uh, He had to break this news to my grandma, who was, to put it straight, a scary ass, no nonsense, nonsense woman. Um, Most grandmas are, right? Oh, I mean, yes, in my experience. Yeah, (laughs) my grandma was. A scary-ass, no-nonsense, nonsense, nonsense, why am I saying nonsense weird? I don't know. Nonsense woman. Um, (laughs) He was was able to tell her that, how he was able to tell her that while he was away, he married a truck stop prostitute named Nancy (laughs) and would need to go ahead and end their 20-something year marriage is beyond me, but he did. Holy Crap. That's, That's me amazing. saying, holy crap, Nang Shanda. Um, Nancy was a wild alcoholic whirlwind in her late 50s who liked to get up on bars and flash the room her boobs to show off that she tattooed sugar on one and spice on the other. On her boobs, I guess. Sugar and spice. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, they were married for around five years before she put him into debt and then skipped town. Of course she did. Good for her. Nancy. Um, they were married. Uh, wait, my grandparents eventually reconciled and remained friends until my grandma passed away 10 years ago, but not before announcing to my grandpa on her deathbed in a room full of family that she wanted him to quote unquote do her. <laughs> <laughs> And then she writes, which I guess was kind of sweet, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Is it? Is that sweet? Um, I mean, I hope she, he didn't do, well, I mean, if that's what she wanted, what you she know, wanted. you get to pick what meal you want right before you die. If you want to get dude done <laughs> by your ex-husband who married a prostitute, hey, man. More power to you. More power to you. <laughs> And that's uh, this week's 
Write in quickie. Thanks oh. again to Shanda Sung from Bloomington, Indiana. Thank you, Shanda. That is amazing. Please, please, please write in. Give us yours. Um, if you you have one yourself, your grandma uh, has a story. Maybe your grandma ran off with a, a, a truck stop prostitute or a trucker. That would be amazing. Write in. Oh, it's man. dumblovepod at gmail.com. Yes, I want to hear some grandma stories. Okay, so mine is not a write in, but I found it uh, on the internets. Um, and this is my quickie. So this is in, in June, 2011, uh, Maria Nilza Samoas. Um, she lived in a small town in Brazil. Um, and she discovered that her husband was having an affair and yes, she was like, she was furious and rightfully so. Right. You know? And so, uh, instead of leaving her shitbag husband though, she decides, Oh, I'm going to hire a hitman to kill his lover. So to kill the lover, yeah, kill him, right? I know. I'm like, if you're gonna, but she's not like <laughs> she's like a mafioso wife. Like she's a, a housewife in a tiny town in Brazil, and so she goes to like the one ex-con that she knows, uh, this guy Carlos Roberto de Jesus, um, and she asks him to do it, and he agrees to to kill the lover. Her name is Lupita. Um, for four hundred dollars, and so they decide June twenty fourth is the day he's going to do the deed. And he was, like, all set to do it. And so he's, like, starts, you know, trying to locate Lupita. And then he finds her. And he was, like, oh, that's, like, my childhood friend. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he was, like, I can't. I can't do it. So he he goes to Lupita and he tells her, like, I was hired to kill you, but I've got a plan. Dude, Um, if I told you that I was hired to kill you, (laughs) would you believe me? No. <laughs> I'd be like, Jen, nobody would hire you to kill anyone. <laughs> what if I told you? <laughs> That's why you were doing this podcast? I started this podcast. <laughs> well, that would be like a really good finale like story. But oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that you'll know <laughs> when it's just Jen doing the podcast that she... That she, I follow through. That through. I follow through with things. Yeah. <laughs> when Jen commits, she commits. Um, if you hire me to do a job... I will do it. <laughs> no, so he tells Lupita, he's like, oh, yeah, your your lover's wife wants to kill you, but I've got a plan. And so it gets two bottles of ketchup. He squirts it all over her shirt. They put a blindfold on her, and then they stick a knife, like, in between her armpit and her side. You know, like, have, did you ever do that when you were a kid? Like, <laughs> just a kitchen knife. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you turn to the side, and you're like, look, him. I have a knife in me. I feel like this was a Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> it sounds like it, except, so then they take a picture of her with ketchup and the knife sticking out of her armpit, but from the top, so you can just see it, that it's clearly <laughs> in between her arm and her, her Did she have, like, side. did she draw X's on her eyes with a Sharpie? No, like, they had a blindfold what? over. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? That would have been just, I mean, the photo is ridiculous. <laughs> we'll post it on our Instagram. Hell yeah. Um. But so he takes this picture and he gives it, he shows it to Maria, who is the wife. And she's like, yep, she looks dead. Like, I mean, because she's probably <laughs> never seen a photo of a dead body. So she pays Carlos. And then two days later, she's like, has a huge shock when she's walking. This is a tiny town. She walks to the local market and sees Carlos and Lupita making out. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, it's the article actually says canoodling. Which means... Making out. I would like just say what they were doing. Were they kissing? Were they like 
fondling? I don't know. I just imagine canoodling is like just a bunch of arm, like loopy arms and legs around each other. Like I noodling know. each other? Like yes, noodling. that's exactly what I... <laughs> Uh, so Maria, the wife, is super pissed, and she's like, you know, she's so level-headed, right? We've, we know that about her. So she goes to the local police station and reports Carlos for theft. For not following through for on murder. For not following murder. through on her murder and taking her money. So what? Okay, finish. Okay, so now they're, like, so they all three were facing charges. Maria for issuing death threats and soliciting, uh... A, a killer <laughs> and Lupita and Carlos for extortion. And so Carlos skipped town immediately. He was like, well, well I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of this. And then Maria, the wife became like a public laughing stock. Cause everybody was like, how did you not know? <laughs> yeah. She wasn't dead. And then Lupita has become like a local celebrity. Like apparently she started being called ketchup woman and she was being considered for a seat on the local town hall. <laughs> What? Just for having ketchup on you? That's all it takes? I guess so. They, there was like a quote in the article that was like, well, our town hall is messed up anyway. Why not add some ketchup to it? <laughs> and she was like, well, this is something I'm going to have to really consider. <laughs> oh, my. That's all. See, we should move to a smaller town because if that's all it takes to right? get fame. Fame in, in their local towns? Yeah. We'll just... <laughs> I'll pour ketchup on you. I'll pour I'll pour any condiment you want on you, and I would be happy to stage your death. Oh, thank you. I w- anytime. <laughs> All right. Um, man, that's crazy. That's a crazy story. Yeah. I like it. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen? Uh, guess what? What? Um, you know how last time you said that you used a um, – found a story on killer couples? Oh, yeah. Snapped killer couples? Yeah, dude. Well, I was like, well, I'm going to get a story. To be fair, I did do extra research, but most of it comes from an episode of Snapped Killer Couples. I mean, it's a great resource. It's an amazing re- it's a It's a well of information. Yeah. Um, so this is the story, my long story, um, you know, I'm going to do the, the not so nice love story, um, is about a couple named Melissa Bredo and James Bellinger. Melissa goes by Missy. So I'm going to call her Missy for the duration of the story. It's not that you guys are like best buds. No, I don't know her personally. (laughs) You're like, I mean, her good friends call her Missy. But I do know that she prefers to be called Missy, so I'm going to do her that courtesy. Um, Okay, so growing up, Missy um, didn't have a lot of friends. Um, She she lived in Alpina, um, Alpina, Michigan. Alpina? I have no idea. Alpina. Alpina? It's what you want to I think that's my typo. I think it's Alpina. Alpina, but I'm going to... Okay. Alpina, Michigan. Are you sure it's not um, just Alpine? Probably. Um, <laughs> so growing up, she didn't have a lot of friends. Um, she was a, kind of a troublemaker. She was always getting into trouble and fought with her parents a lot. Um, she, um, Her dad worked on boats and was never home. So it was just like her, her mom, and her four um, other siblings. And so she didn't really get a lot of attention as a kid which is probably why she acted out. Um, And so when she was a teenager, she met 
um, she finally made a friend, if you will. His name um, is 13-year-old Jason Bellinger. And they quickly fell in love and became um, best friends. It was a real Romeo and Juliet type situation. At 13, they? Yeah, 13. Okay. Hey, that's how old Romeo and Juliet were. Yeah, but they weren't real people. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio were real. That's right. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> So I don't understand your point. I'm um, sorry. I'm anyway. sorry. I sorry. I even suggested that that was a work of fiction. I apologize. <laughs> thirteen um. is a totally normal age. <laughs> so they were thirteen, to fall in love. and they fall. You didn't fall in love at thirteen. Like you didn't have crushes at thirteen. Oh yeah, sure, totally. But not real love. You think you're in love. But. No, I. The first guy I kissed was at summer camp. His name was Kevin Gears, and we. Neither of us. It was our both of our first kisses, and neither of us knew how. So we just like basically like open mouth, like like kissed like Clam. fish, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> our, our, like no tongue, just like <laughs> moving our mouths. I guess the way we thought that people would. And then I was later at six when I turned sixteen. I was a uh, a counselor in training at that summer camp, and one of the girls in my cabin was eleven or twelve, and she was talking about her boyfriend. Kevin Gears and I was like what I was like um who is your your boyfriend is he from I can't remember whatever town in Ohio and she was like yeah he thinks I'm 14 though and I was like oh my god oh my god (laughs) scandal scandal so what did you do did you tell him I was not no longer in touch it wasn't like oh because um, back then you didn't have like cell phones yeah and also we were I mean we met when we were 12, so this was four years later. Oh, my God. So he was making out with an 11-year-old? Yeah. Dude. When he was 16. <gasps> but he didn't know. He thought she was 14. I wonder if we should change the name. <laughs> <laughs> Shreb and Schmears. Shreb and Schmears. So as not to have him retroactively arrested for... <laughs> Well, I guess he was a kid too. He was a kid too. He didn't know. Oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah. So yes, I kids. I uh, I did have. I of course I had crushes and thought that I was. I mean, I used to. I remember talking on the phone with my like middle school boyfriend Max, which I just realized is also my son's name. I know. What? (laughs) Uh, Weird. Uh, Like for hours and hours and hours and yeah, yeah. So let's give these uh, Missy and Jason a break then, eh? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> they were in love. Okay. okay, they were in love. True love. I get it. Just like me and Mevin Mears. <laughs> Mevin Mears. Um, so, okay. So thir- he, she met 13-year-old Jason Bellinger. And Jason actually... According to everyone on the show, they were very pro-Jason in this story, which okay. I'll get to later. I don't know if I really am feeling it. I but- feel like um, – I, I don't know when Killer Couples was made, but it feels very um, – like- Sexist? Yes. It does. Like, it just feels very, like, uh, slut-shamey. Totally. And- yeah. Yeah. We'll get into this a little more at the end of the story because right. okay. I have I have feelings feelings on it um but yeah so okay so they say oh jason came from a good family and he was pretty straight and narrow and he got good grades but missy was a wild child oh so she's the one who corrupted him yeah totally um so she was the bad influence on him and uh jason's parents were really upset about like 
the change in his behavior. He was like sneaking out at night to go see her, yada, yada. He didn't sound like he did anything that terrible that like 13 year olds do, but whatever. Um, so his parents made him break up with Missy by, um, moving out of, uh, the town completely, moving out of El Pina. Mm-hmm. Um, so they moved like just to keep them away. And Missy, of course, was devastated. Yeah. Um, you know, cause that was her boyfriend. So, she then turns to drugs and alcohol and drops out of school. Um, and then she had a one-night stand and got pregnant. Um, and so she really wasn't being so young. Um, she And, you know, addicted to drugs and alcohol. She right. couldn't really take care of her daughter. So her parents got custody of her daughter. Um, so over time, she kind of turned to um, her next-door neighbor, for guidance, um, and it was it, it was a sixty nine year old man named uh, James Orban who would just kind of sit outside. You know those old people that just sit outside yeah. in chairs and they talk to everyone. Yes, um, he was that guy. Um, so he was a retired factory worker, and um, um, after um, so she, after months of talking to him or whatever, um, they ended up striking a big friendship. And he would, um, he wanted to help her out and he wanted to, um, you know, help take care of her. So what he would do is he would, um, let her work for him by buying him groceries, cleaning his house, and he would give her money and attention or whatever. Okay. Um, I'm like just waiting for this to uh-huh. turn bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, well, this guy sounds nice. Also, yeah. I hate that they, I mean, I know she couldn't take care of her kid, but also they're giving another kid to these parents who fucked up one kid already. I know. Yeah. I mean, not to blame the parents, but it sounded like they weren't great parents. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the yeah, they weren't, obviously something was going on to make her such a Yeah. I mean, maybe. Child. Who knows? I know. Who knows? Yeah. I we'll probably, maybe I we'll feel that. differently when we're. Yeah. Um, when we have teenagers. Yeah. And I'll be yeah. like, oh my God, this was like, cause I said that on the podcast. <laughs> well, cause I was a terrible ass kid. Um, teenager. I was the worst teenager you can imagine. Were but you I really? mean, I wouldn't say my parents like, well, were like, it, it wasn't really their fault. Right. Um, yeah. I was, oh, it was the worst. Were you, what did you do? Bad stuff? Yeah. I like, I, <laughs> Like, I definitely, like, I started smoking at, like, 14 and smoking weed at 14 and drinking. I'm putting this all on the podcast. (laughs) But my parents already know this now. Um, But I was the middle child, so I kind of went under the radar. And I would sneak out and go to punk shows all the time. At one point, me and my best friend, Corey, stole her parents' car. We crashed it on the side of the road because we were going to see the impotent sea snakes at the masquerade. We were like 15. We You're didn't even going have to a see license. The impotent sea snakes? Yes. <laughs> what? At 15. We were terrible, <laughs> terrible kids. But I'm a great adult. You are a great I'm like, adult. I got it all out of my system young. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's why I was like, I need to take that back. That's not um Yeah, I don't I don't believe in the like everything is the parents' fault. Yeah. Um you know. Well, because according to Killer Couples, Missy is just a rotten egg. Right. Well, obviously. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But she, um, so basically, she was trying to get her life together and be like a better um, daughter and mother. And she was doing better 
Um, she was trying, she was kind of atoning and like trying to apologize to her parents for being terrible and, and yeah. Being How old better. was she at this point? Um, she was, I think around maybe 20 years old. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then in September of 2001 at a party, Melissa, Missy runs into dun, 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 Jason. Okay. For her old love. So they immediately fall back in love and they're adults now so they could do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Um, so they move Scooby in together mom. like immediately. Okay. Um, so within two weeks of them getting back together, mm-hmm. two weeks, all of a sudden her next door neighbor, James's house, is engulfed in flames. Do you want to know why? Yeah, I, I do. I have okay. a guess. <laughs> so firefighters find his body on the kitchen floor, and right Aww. away they see that it is not a normal fire at all. Like, right away. There, there's ex- uh, accelerant all over. Um, there's a strong smell of gasoline, which, you know, people shows that someone had set the fire. Right. Was it? Um, and um, on top of that, they also see that all of his belongings had been tossed about his entire house. Like he had, it had been completely ransacked. Um, and then uh, the uh, autopsy also shows that he had multiple stab wounds, including oh. a deadly stab um, to the wound to the jugular. So they were able to see that he was actually dead before the fire had started. So it obviously suggests this was a very personal crime. Um, so, here we go. There's okay. twists and turns. Um, as they're going through his belongings, they discover, like, child pornography and photos uh, of young children all over his house. Yeah, that's um, what I was waiting for. And then you were? Yeah. I See, I didn't see that coming at all. You don't see, like, when you're like, oh, this 69-year-old old man wants to help out this young girl. No, didn't... I would have been like, what do you mean? <laughs> no, you're right. You're totally right. Red flag, red flag. Um he had been um, – so then they realized, after looking into the crime, they see that he had actually been investigated for criminal sexual um, contact in 1993 and was a registered sex offender. And although um, he had – and he had served no jail time. So I guess, like, what happened was he got arrested for criminal sexual contact with a minor and then were like uh, – just go live over here then, okay? Bye. Right, like, please. Don't, don't yeah. live by the school, but I'm sure yeah. no other kids will live near you. You promise you won't do nothing? Okay. <laughs> Bye. So, fucking... So, all, another neighbor also tells the police that two weeks prior to the fire, someone had spray-painted um, in red paint on his garage door a child molester okay. across his door. So now, of course, the police are thinking that whoever did this, um, it w- may have been a victim of uh, one of his past victims, and right. they were exacting revenge. Um, so a neighbor also tells the police that... Uh, Who th- is this neighbor? And this neighbor knows everything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they should have just went straight to this neighbor. Um, the neighbor is the other old guy that sits on right. the front yeah, one. The <laughs> yeah, the good one. That's like James again? God damn it. Um, so he tells the police that um, at the fire scene that a man had approached him and asked if they had found a body. Or found the body, but at the time, um, this is like the oldest trick in the book, dude, or the oldest mistake in the book. Right, like, don't go where to the like, scene, or and don't be like, did they find the body yet? When it's just like <laughs> at a flooded house or something, right. you know what I mean? So that's so. Of course, the neighbor was like, "How do you know there's a body?" Um, 
I didn't tell you his name was James. Like, yeah. <laughs> they also said that the man smelled really strongly like a campfire. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> he, <was> like, <laughs> he didn't even change his clothes. Um, so, yeah, this guy's a dummy. Um, so neighbors also told the police that... Um, so the neighbors are just like, we got a lot of... <laughs> talking to do police they're like they're like a people in a law and order episode who are just like so observant they're like, yeah like if you if somebody came over and was like hey do you know have you noticed anything about your neighbors across the street i'd be like i literally have never seen them i don't i have no <laughs> idea who lives anywhere around me this is like the next door neighbor app before it was an app. Right. It was like every single neighbor just <laughs> talks about everything. Um, so they tell the police that um, Melissa and James actually had a very strange relationship, just like you said, Sally. Uh-huh. Um, they said that they had seen them holding hands and kissing. No. And so like a 20-year-old and a 69-year-old man thinking out, you know, people are going to notice that. That's weird and grossing. Um, so Melissa, um, so police, of course, interrogate Melissa. Melissa, uh, Missy says, I keep calling her Melissa. Now know, I'm guys, rude. I'm right? rude. So rude. You guys are um, buds. I know. Um, so Missy had actually um, said that she had known that he was, she had known him since he was a child. And she said that she knew that he was a child molester, but that they were just friends. Oh, cool. Okay. Cool friend. Cool yeah. friend, dude. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things. Like, we all have to look past the flaws of yeah. our friends, you know? And then, guess what? Another neighbor <laughs> tells the police that, you know, they're like, hey, we used to have a child arsonist that lived in this neighborhood. And guess who the arsonist was? Melissa's. Missy's boyfriend, Jason. Jason was the oh, Jason. arsonist. Jason, Jason, the good kid Jason. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Good family. Totally. That's what I'm saying. Like, whoever wrote this Killer Couples episode is like, you, you're forgetting when you're going on and on about what an awesome person Jason was. And yeah. Missy, like, turned him and ruined him. He was a fucking child fire starter. He was right. Drew Barrymore Firestarter. <laughs> and started. she was getting her life together. And then she met him and then... Yeah, she fucked her up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, police... Um, so, so when they find out that, you know, he used to start fires, they call him and inter- interrogate him. And he tells them that him and Missy had... Um, he, he tells them that him and Missy had just gotten married the day before. Okay. So, like, okay, so the fire starts and then they go and get married. Okay. Um, so then he says that he knew that he was a sex offender um, and that he would just throw stuff at his house when he was a kid, but that he had nothing to do with the fire. And the police are like, yeah, I don't know if you're telling the truth. And also, um, you have some blood stains on your hat, dude. <laughs> He's so dumb. And so he goes to the fucking interrogation with blood stains on his hat. He's like, this is my lucky hat, man. My team's playing tonight and they always win when I wear it, so I can't (laughs) not wear it. Does it smell like a campfire to you? (laughs) Um, So Jason ends up making a confession. So he tells them that between the ages of 10 and 14 that James Orban used to sexually abuse him. Mm. And he says that he got really drunk... um, one night and decided to go over there and beat him up. 
And he says that when he got there, though, James was like letting his cat out and open the door. So instead, he forced his way inside James's house. James grabbed a frying pan to hit him. So def- to defend himself, he had to um, stab him a bunch of times, I guess. Um, so he said that the next day he went back to set the fire. Um, so police arrest him and they bring in Missy for questioning. And Missy, you know, she confesses that, you know, she helped him dispose of the his bloody clothes, but that's all that she had was involved okay. at all. Um, so she takes him to the dumpster where the bloody clothes were thrown away, um, and Bellinger goes to jail for first-degree murder, and she remains free. And the police are like, there's definitely more to this story, We, but you guys are not saying it. Like, why would his house be ransacked if this was just like a, right. a an act of self-defense? Oh, and, right. Like, if it was like a sudden thing. Like yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're like, whatever, because he's in jail and we got him. Whatever. So, <laughs> right. We don't uh, need the whole story. We're fine. It's all yeah. good. <laughs> I don't feel like doing anything. It's the weekend. Um, <laughs> so uh, he goes to jail and Missy visits him like once a week for like a year. And um, she actually surprises him in telling him that she's pregnant with his baby. And she so she has his baby. And then after a year, she kind of stops showing up and going to visit him and then um she actually moves away with her family and two kids to start a whole new life without him um so when he finds this out he's pissed yeah so mad so in december of 2002 he goes to the authorities and tells them that in exchange for a plea deal and a lesser sentence um he's ready to tell them the real story okay because so had he been in jail awaiting sentencing? He, he like, had already been sentenced and was in jail for a year. So so then now he wants, like, his sentence reduced. That's what he I think before. so, okay. yeah. It doesn't matter. I, I think so, I, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so he tells them that the whole um, molestation story was a complete lie, that he had – was never abused by him. He had actually never even met him until his wife, Missy introduced him to him. And then he said that he killed him on the orders of his wife, Missy, Uh that Missy was the one that told him to do it. Um, he said that James um, was basically her sugar daddy and that the only source of income that the two of them had together, um, because they both had, you know, um, drug problems. Right. And the only money that they were getting, um was from him yeah so he was supporting not only the only their lifestyle but they're like paying their rent all that stuff um so but james had um given um when he found out that missy was using the money for drugs he had given her um an ultimatum regarding her drug use and was like look you shouldn't be using drugs and if i find out you're spending money on them i'm gonna cut you off like Oh, look at the moral compass right. on this guy. <laughs> the molester with a heart of gold, I guess. Like, fuck off. Okay. So had he, had he been molesting her? So. Am I jumping the gun? I don't. I guess we'll get into that. Because she never admits. Like, she never admits that, like, kind of anything happened between the two of them. So okay. maybe. Right. But, um, so, um, so she, but he finds out. James had found out that Missy was using drugs and he cut her off. Um, so, uh, but he also told Missy, according, this is all according to Jason, to J- Jason. Um, that he had told Missy that she was the 
uh, only person on his will. So that like, even though he had cut her off financially, but he told her that she was the only person on his will. And that if something had ever happened to him, he would leave her everything. Uh huh. So, um, but this is true. She did after, right after, um, they, the fight after he was killed. Yeah. She did go down to the courthouse to see if he had left her anything. And, um, not only did, um, he, he lied about how much money he was living, like paid, like disability check to disability right. check I was just like, to well, support he's just her. Sitting on his yeah. Porch all day. <laughs> he didn't have any money. And yeah. not only that, he had left everything to his brother. So, um, but so Jason, um, so she, Jason says that when he cut her off, she immediately started plotting his murder and that he, she is the one that suggested that they get married because she watches a lot of uh, true crime TV like us and told him that if they get married, that they can't testify on each other, you know, marital right, privilege yeah. or whatever, which is only sometimes true. Um, there's a lot of rules around that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, so she goes and she finds out that she's not getting any money anyway, which womp, womp, womp. Um, and then, but then that also explains why the house was ransacked. They ransacked it to look for to look any for kind money. of yeah. money or whatever. Um, so when he tells him, she immediately gets arrested and, um, and she goes to court and in court, she finds out that marital privilege, um, before. A few years earlier in her state was modified. So it only, I don't really quite understand this part. Um, I couldn't wrap my head around it. They said it only applies to the testifying spouse and not the defendant. So Jason was able to be the prosecution's star witness against Missy. Yeah. Um, and then her lawyers, you know, claimed that she had nothing to do with it. And then he says she definitely did. And there really wasn't very much evidence at all showing that she did besides her going down to the courthouse, but they still found her guilty on all accounts and she'll be in jail for the rest of her life. And he, um, got a lesser sentence and will be out sooner than she will, yeah. even though he's the one that stabbed. That actually did the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. crime. Yeah, so the way that marital privilege works is that the... Oh, yeah, you're um, a lawyer. We no, I mean, don't... Yeah, but don't, like, don't quote me on these things, because it's been a really long time since <laughs> I, I practiced any law, um, is that it, you, it only... You can only... Like, there's you can only invoke it. So it's not automatic you can decide whether or not you want to invoke marital privilege. So gotcha. because he decided to testify, she can't like, she couldn't invoke it on his behalf. She couldn't say, no, you can't testify against me because, because you're my husband, but he could say, no, I'm not going to testify against my wife. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Yes, so that, yes. that's what it means. Means like it goes on the witness, not on the defendant. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, okay. So is there more? Is um, No. So that's pretty much yeah. it. That's how it ends. Um, and it's, it's, it's a sad story. And I mean, yeah, she's definitely responsible for her actions and he's responsible for his actions. Right. Um, but and, she's not responsible for his actions. Right. Yes. Yeah. And like, and the whole episode, even at the very end, one of the, um, uh, you know, guests on the show or whatever that was, I think it was his prosecutions attorney, prosecuting uh -huh. attorney or whatever. Um, or 
would like prosecuting her yeah. um said made some comment like yes what he did was very was terrible but like what she did was far worse she manipulated and used and took money from this man who was a child molester my like right and like you know uh, it was she, like she was like far more guilty and should serve way more jail time and i just feel like the whole thing was just very sexist. Totally. It d- sounds and so slut-shaming. into it. <laughs> I am not into this murder. <laughs> not into this murder. <laughs> this is not a fun one. Everybody was bad. I hated it. Everyone was bad. Not a good person in the lot. No. But I mean, but you know, they were in true love at 13. So Jen. Yeah. You know. This was a real Romeo. And- <laughs> this is kind of like, remember Romeo and Juliet, like nobody... Wins, everybody dies. Everybody dies. <laughs> it's a sad, sad tale of woe. That's or right. It's this exactly is, the this same. This is what this is. This is Shakespearean. <laughs> this is very Shakespearean. <laughs> Jen. Sally. You're not going to believe this. I probably won't. <laughs> um, I have I have a love story. I feel like we need it. Oh, yes. that Because, I mean, everybody just died in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen. This is not all all uh, sunshine either, but um, okay. it is. It, it's it's a true love story, and um, I I told I sent you a message to tell you like I was so ex- I'm so excited to tell it, and I really hope that I do it justice. I'm sure you will, um, because it's it's I think it's important, and like only because this is our podcast. Like I just I'm going to insert myself into this story, even though I have nothing to do with it. But I just am like very. tangentially related to it like so it takes place in the couple uh it takes place in cincinnati ohio which is where ben and i lived for like six years we moved there after we hiked the appalachian trail and so and we both went to grad school at university of cincinnati and we like you know bought our first house there and then owned it for 10 years after we moved because we couldn't sell it but um it's like where i it's where i started comedy it's where i we i think ben and i both still think of it as like our home even though we only really lived there for six years, but um, but anyway, so we love Cincinnati. But so this is a story of Jim Obergefell and John Arthur. Do you oh, know it? No. <laughs> okay, so Jim and John like to joke that they're they theirs was like love at third sight. So they had met twice in the early nineties um, when they were like in their mid twenties at a bar called Uncle Woody's in Cincinnati, which also they didn't have a love connection the first two times they met. Like they met and they were like, oh, okay, he's nice, whatever. Um, but Uncle Woody's is also right across from the Cincinnati College of Law, which is where I went to law school. Um, and it's also where I almost got arrested um, because after finals, my first finals, I was like standing in a group of people on the front porch of this bar, which is like right on the road, who were all smoking pot. And this cop came up to the circle and was just like, Really? <laughs> like it was oh like a bunch of like like people in law school who should know better were just like he was like, come on guys. And we were like, oh. Um Oh, so, but you were not partaking. You were just standing there. Yeah, I was just standing there, just like chatting. Right. <laughs> I was just mm. chatting. Mm. No, yeah. So it's so dumb. But um but so I, I mean I that was like the like college, my law school hangout was uh-huh. this bar. So Uncle Woody's didn't do it for him. I get it. It's a total dive. But like the third time they met was at a mutual friend's party. And Jim says like, that was it. He says, I never left. Like, so they, they were like inseparable. They moved in together right away. Um, they both came from like a large Irish Catholic family. And by the time Jim came out, his mom had already died, but everybody else in his family was just like, yeah, 
We knew. Yeah. <laughs> we knew. Um, and John, John had a little bit of harder time. His mom and his um, siblings were <clears throat> on were, were fine and happy for him, but his father, he had a strained relationship. And oh. um, so it took a little bit longer, but he said eventually he did come around. So Jim was like the quiet, serious one. Um, and But everybody said that John was like just super charismatic and he had like this wicked sense of humor. Um, and so years go by and they were like the kind of couple where everybody said their name like in together in one breath. Like it like, wasn't just Jim or John. It was Jim and John Jennifer. or John and Jim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. John. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> you can't really do Jim and John. Um, and they, they even worked. They actually worked together in IT. Um, and sometimes they, they went worked at a couple different companies together. And sometimes their desks were next to each other. They... Um, they rehabbed old houses together. They had the same friends. They had the same hobbies. And, and people just thought of them as like, like a solid, quiet couple. They were together for like 22 years. And so then in 2011, when he was just 20, just 46, John started falling down. Um, and he was referred to a neurologist who diagnosed him with ALS. No. Yeah, it was devastating. They were devastated. And and John declined pretty quickly. So by the summer, he was walking with a cane and then a walker and then like a manual wheelchair and oh, then a remote God. wheelchair. How old is he? 46. Oh, no. Yeah. So they moved out of their two-level home and into a one-level condo. Um, and by early t- 2013 – John was bedridden and he was receiving hospice care. Um, but Jim says he was never angry. He was never self-pitying. And Jim was like, I was the one who was angry, but it was hard to stay mad and ask why, why me, why him? When I saw him, when I saw J- John being so good about it, just like being like, this is, this is what it is. And I'm going to live my life the best I can while I have it. Um, so they had been together for over 20 years, but they had never married because gay marriage was not legal in Ohio. And they just didn't want to have like some kind of, they didn't want to be symbolic. They wanted it to have legal weight. So in 2013, the Supreme Court struck down a key portion of the Defense of Marriage Act, um, which gave same-sex couples um, who were married the same federal benefits in states where where same sex sorry where same sex marriage was legal mm-hmm. they now were able to get federal benefits so um when jim saw this news he leaned over he kissed john on the head and said let's get married Aww. um but it still wasn't legal in ohio so they had to go to another state to get married um but john was bedridden and so a friend suggested maryland which is it was legal so at this point it was legal in i think 33 or 34 states um so they, but they decided to go to, to Maryland, but John was bedridden. They couldn't drive. They couldn't take a commercial flight. So the only option they had was a medical flight. And when friends and family found out that what their plan was, the friends and family ended up funding the entire $13,000 of the trip. Oh. So on Ju- July 11th, they got on a plane um, with John's aunt, Paulette Roberts, um, who had become ordained online to perform the ceremony. And they flew to Baltimore and then while they were on, still on the tarmac, um, she performed the ceremony. Oh, my god! So they didn't even, ever even leave the, the plane. Wow. They were just, like, in Maryland. So they held hands. Mm-hmm. They stared into each other's eyes. Um, John struggled to speak, but he managed with this ring, Ivy Wed. Oh. And then they kissed, and they were officially husband and husband. And the plane took off and headed back to Cincinnati. And so 
um, it, Paulette said, who the aunt said, if marriage vows mean anything, those two were more married than anyone I've ever known. So a few days after the ceremony, a neighbor uh, mentioned the wedding to a civil rights attorney, Al Gerhardstein, who um, a few of my friends actually from law school worked for really? in Cincinnati. And who I, when I worked for the federal judge I worked for, he was actually in court. Like we saw him like every week because that is kind of where the federal civil rights courts go to. So that uh, the judge I worked for was a federal judge. And so, um, and he's like known in Cincinnati for being like the civil rights attorney. Um, he, so he knew, he knew they had a problem. He was, he knew that the state of Ohio would not recognize the marriage and would not list Jim as John's surviving spouse on his death certificate. And so Jim and John agreed with Gerhard Stein that they wanted to file a lawsuit. Um, and so a federal judge, Timothy Black, who I also knew from my time in the courts, which I was like so proud when I found all this, like, I was like, oh, I know those people. They're so cool. <laughs> um, so he ruled in in their favor oh. and the, and said the state of Ohio has to recognize this marriage and put um, when – John dies. They have to put Jim as a surviving spouse. Um, and it was so – the decision was, like, so controversial that a Republican lawmaker called for Judge Black's impeachment. Oh, um, Which he was not. But – Good. But – so John died a few months later. Um, and because of Judge Black's decision, Jim Oberrichfeld's name was listed on the death certificate as a surviving spouse. Um, but then Ohio appealed the ruling, and the appeal, appeals court overruled the decision – so Jim and Al Gerhardstein appealed to the Supreme Court. So the case was that case was consolidated with four others where states, um, I think it was maybe Kentucky, Indiana, and I can't Michigan maybe. Um, don't quote me on that, but other states where who who were not recognizing legal marriages from other states. So sometimes it was because um, I think in one case it was they were not allowing. Um, to adoptive parents to be listed as parents on the birth certificate for Ugh. kids, even though they these were mar married couples. Um, so this was a, this was like a consolidation of four cases, but it was Jim who was the named plaintiff. So the case became known as Obergefell versus Hodges, um, and the question before the Supreme Court was whether gay marriage gay couples have the constitutional right to marry. So while they waited for the case to be heard and decided in the Supreme Court, Jim was living alone in the couple's condo. He had their wedding rings fused and wore oh, them together on their God. left hand. And he said John had wanted him to date again, but Jim was like, I just can't picture it. He he was a quiet man. He'd never been an activist before. You know, they had just lived kind of like a quiet life as a couple. But now he was becoming this like symbol in the fight for marriage equality, like speaking at events, making public appearances. And he said what it's all really about is continuing to fight for John, for the Aww. promises I made. It keeps John alive. It's my way of honoring and protecting him. He said, it's hard to put into words how to grasp that our decision to stand up and say, this isn't right, is going to affect so many people. So then on June 26, 2015, the Supreme Court ruled in a five to four de decision that the fundamental right to marriage is guaranteed to same-sex same couples by both the Due Process Clause and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and that the ruling required all 50 states um, to perform and recognize marriages of same-sex same couples. Um, and then I just wanted to read a quote from that decision. Aww. So uh, Judge Kennedy wrote the decision, and he said, In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were. 
As some of the petitioners in this case, in these cases demonstrate, marriage embodies a love that may endure even past death. It would misunderstand these men and women to say they disrespect the idea of marriage. Their plea is that they do respect it, respect it so deeply that they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of civilization's oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. The Constitution grants them that right. Um, So Jim spent four years as an activist, the last four years, and he even he moved to Washington, D.C., and he just recently moved back to um, Columbus, Ohio, which is a state capital, to be closer to his family and to focus on working at the state level. Um, and he says, I hope my legacy would be of someone that lived up to his promises to love, honor, and protect his husband, and who fought for that no matter what that meant, and along the way helped make our world a little better. Oh, that's the story of John Arthur and Jim Obergefell. I love that story. Yeah, who just, you know, took a little, it was just a little thing for them. Like their love grew into this big thing that, you know, they're, he is is the reason why, um, you know, many couples can can now get married. So I remember when that, um, when that decision came down, I was actually on a plane. I was leaving my friend Aaron's house um, to go to Cleveland to do shows. And it came like, I was like on the plane, like looking at my phone past the time when you're supposed to turn it off. And I saw the news and I like wanted to like say something like on the plane. Did and you I was yell like, it out? no, I was like uh, crying, but I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to have my phone on. So I couldn't, I didn't say anything, but I just was like, it was such an amazing flight just to be like, this is happening. And, um, and I was like, why am I so emotional? And then like a day later, I found out that I was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an emotional day. It was Your an emotional day. Very valid. I mean, that was that what an amazing day that was. And so many of my, um, you know, same sex couple friends who were um, ceremonially married, right. as, but not legally for them to then be able to go legally get married. Like my friends, Seth and Rob were, I believe they were the fifth couple. They actually just, the anniversary was just a few days ago. Yeah. And they, um, reposted, um, the story from, they were the fifth couple couple in the state of Georgia to be legally married. That's amazing. And I remember that they had, um, they had, it was like televised all day long. Yeah, um, I, and it I was, was like couldn't most, stop watching it. Oh my god, just tears the yeah. whole day. Like it was just so beautiful and so amazing. And and I'll never understand why someone would fight that or argue it or it's, try to keep it from happening. I right, never it's so crazy. That. Yeah, um, great story. Oh, I love it. Good. I hope I did it justice because it was. It's, I was really excited to do it. it. It's such an amazing, like, I, I just, I, I just wanted to do it justice. So I hope I did. Yeah. All right. All right. So now, um, we talked a lot on this episode. So we're gonna do our uh, real quick the dumb th- something that's dumb and something that we love. Uh, my this week, my something that is dumb is um, I found I took a well this. The test isn't dumb. It's called Everly Well. It's actually pretty convenient. You can take it at home um, if you want to send me some money, Everly Well, um, for the <laughs> shout out. But it, you like prick your own finger and you do a blood test and then you send it in and I'll tell you what foods you are allergic to. And um, the dumb thing is that it came back that I definitely am very reactive to 
dairy. Boo. So, boo. so no milk, no cheese, no fun stuff. Um, so that's pretty dumb. And I'm staring and grapes, right now. Right? And grapes. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Sally was with me when I read the results, and I was like, well, thank God. Uh, it's like milk, um, cow's milk, and yogurt, and cheese, and um, and then it said grapes, and then I went and coffee, yeah, and then and coffee. which that sucks bad, dude. That's such a bummer. And so, um, when I went home and I told my husband what I was, how it came back, I was like, well, at least it didn't come back like wine. And he was like, <laughs> hey, idiot. <laughs> Grapes are wine. Yeah. I was like, why is it all my favorite thing? <laughs> so um, it's very dumb. Um, and I don't like it. Um, but my, something that I love, um, there's a new show. On HBO, it's called Euphoria. Have you watched it yet? I have not. Damn, it's so good. I mean, it is like it's real scandalous. Yeah, NSFW. <laughs> I had to read it aloud in my head. Uh, not safe for work. Don't watch it in front of your kids. Okay, it's even a little uncomfortable to watch it in front of your husband. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good and so well written and if zendaya does not zendaya is that how you say her i think it's zendaya is it zendaya if she doesn't win an award for her acting on this show then i don't even want to live anymore (laughs) but she she's absolutely like she'll blow you away she's amazing so check out that show also hbo if you want to send me some money I'll take it. Anyone who send us money, we'll totally take it. We would totally take it. What about you, dude? Okay, well, I my dumb thing made me think a couple episodes ago, or maybe last episode. I'm sorry, I don't remember, but we've done so many episodes now. Um, We're professional. We're professional. You had asked if I ever accidentally texted the wrong person, and I was like, I don't think so. But it made me remember that. So this is my dumb and thing I love, but Mm -hmm. so. My two best friends, um, Aaron and Grace, we do every day, like pretty much we use the Marco Polo app. Do you know what, what is that? Um, so it's just like a video, uh, like a video messaging app. Like you can just, so we'll like, instead of like texting, which we were doing, we are like, we just like send each other video messages, like while we're walking or whatever. And it's like, it has been so amazing because we, um, Aaron lives in Colorado and Grace lives in St. Louis and it's like really like made us so much closer and we get to find ants like you actually know what everybody's doing every day and you get to see the places they're going like and hang out um yeah it feels like we're hanging out and we it's like our audio diaries like i really feel like i've gotten like worked through a lot of stuff by like kind of just talking about it. i'm like oh i didn't realize i was upset about that until i started talking about it to you guys um but it's been really amazing and um and i'm so grateful for it for like our friendship has like just deepened so much even though we were already really close but so marco polo if you want to send sally some money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i did totally do an ad for you um but the dumb thing it made me think of was that a couple times but one in particular where i just press accident i thought i was like ending it but i pressed start and there was one message where I was like poloing while I was like in the car and it's just like me, like they just got like a five minute of me just like, just like 
<laughs> were you silent in the car? That's my worst nightmare. No, that's what they like, were like. You actually didn't do dumb stuff, but I'm mean, like, I watched it. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm like. Yeah, like checking my hair. And Thank doing. God that's all you did. <laughs> right? Man, if someone, like there used to be a show on, I, I can't remember what channel it was, but it was a hidden camera show where they would put hidden cameras in people's cars to hear them singing to yeah. themselves. What a violation. <laughs> if that, like that's my biggest nightmare is that I have a hidden camera, like a camera somewhere. in my car and they hear me <laughs> belting out to see a chandelier. Oh, they would just hear me being like, fuck you, get on, move on, take turn. <laughs> <laughs> like honking. I'm such a rageful driver. I would rather them hear me say, fuck you, <laughs> get out of my way than to hear my terrible singing voice. <laughs> only few have heard it and they only, I do it to make them laugh. Yeah. But Oh my God, if it was on camera, I would just die. (laughs) (laughs) I have some goals now. (laughs) Man. So that's your dumb thing, but that's not, that's pretty, man, you got off easy. I know, I did get off easy because I'm, I'm, Yes, I am. I talk a lot to myself in the car, but I, yeah, I had to watch it to be like, did I? Oh no, God, did what I? if you were like, you're a winner, Sally. You're <laughs> gonna, just you're gonna get them. You're the best, Sally. <laughs> <laughs> you can do this. <laughs> Make that audience your bitch. <laughs> I mean, Man. and now that you're revealing my pre-show like pump up, pre-show all right, jams. Oh my god. Um, um, well, dude, great episode. I'm so proud of us. We did it again. We did it again. <laughs> we just nailed it once again. A perfect episode. Perfect 10. <laughs> you guys, please, um, thank you so much for listening. It really is. We're so grateful that you're giving us your time. That is like the most precious thing you could give us. So I hope you're um, enjoying it while you're walking or in the car or whatever you do while you're listening to podcasts. But um, please, please share us with a friend. Um Find us on um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Dumb Love Podcast, and email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. And thank you guys for listening. And subscribe and like and rate and review. We ask a lot of you. We're yeah. Like a million, if you could just do one, we'll yeah, be just your do best one friend. thing. Just do the one thing. <laughs> just subscribe, rate, and review. <laughs> um, and go out there and have a have a dumb love week. Yes. Have a great week. Love, Jen and Sally. Dumb, dumb, dumb.